16 as I continue through the life of Elijah. So I seriously don't blame you if you don't remember. Way back in October, uh, we looked at 1 Kings 17 and we saw the provision of uh, God's provision for Elijah and the widow of Zarephath. So as I get the opportunity to preach, I'm going to be taking a look at the character Elijah in the Bible. Um, so tonight we come to the second passage uh, that, or the second chapter in which Elijah is uh, found. So tonight we continue looking at Elijah, though our focus is actually going to be more on an encounter that he has uh, with a man not named Obadiah. So that's going to be more of our focus this evening. I believe everyone has a handout, so um, we'll begin. So right at the top, several things to know before we look at this passage and Obadiah. Number one, this is most likely not the same Obadiah who is listed among the books of the minor prophets. So Obadiah, who we find in 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 1 through 16, though he has the same name as the book of the Bible, uh, the minor prophet Obadiah, um, doesn't, uh, we don't believe that that is the same man. Number two, this is the only narrative passage that we find Obadiah within. All right, so this is a unique passage in which we find Obadiah, and we get a pretty good uh, grasp of who he is from this just one passage, these 16 verses. Three, this passage fits within the larger context of the story of Elijah. Though we will focus in on Obadiah, we will also pass over the other details in the story. For this passage leads to and introduces the well-known story of Elijah versus the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. So many of us are familiar with the story of uh, often entitled Elijah versus the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. Um, so you probably actually have read this story many times uh, while introducing uh, this well-known story on Mount Carmel. And then five, Obadiah is a character whom we can relate with and learn great lessons from as Christians. All right, so um, I'm going to propose that this evening, Obadiah, we're going to learn a lot of lessons um, about our own Christian life from him, and I think he's, he's a great example for us. So the theme for this evening is uh, very general, um, but it allows us to look at different themes, different lessons from his life. So the theme is there are several lessons that we can learn as Christians by reflecting on Obadiah's example, and, and we're going to be looking at two in specific. I'm sure there's others that we could pull from his life, but we're going to look at two in specific, and we're going to focus in on him. So our passage this evening, as you can see from the first point, actually begins with Elijah. Uh, and as I said, we're going, to, we're going to go verse by verse through this passage. So you're going to see Elijah, you're going to see some other characters, um, but as we go on, I'm going to try and focus uh, more specifically in on Obadiah, though we are going to go deeply into this story and look at Elijah, look at Ahab, but Obadiah will be more of our focus uh, for this evening. So Roman numeral number one, Elijah is sent by God to relieve the land of the famine, 1 Kings 18, 1 through 2. God commands Elijah to go to Ahab. As it says in verse 1, after many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go, show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. Letter B, Elijah goes to Ahab. Verse 2, So Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria. So before we write this off as, I'd say, an insignificant part of this uh, story, or an uh, insignificant part of this narrative, I want us to consider the danger that Elijah is walking into uh, right now. 
the danger that God is commanding him uh, to go to in this passage. So in considering the danger, we have to look at or reflect upon a couple of things. And in so doing, uh, I'm actually going to give you the context to this passage. So if you don't remember, all the way back in October when we looked at 1 Kings 17 with Elijah, we're going to look at it very briefly now. So number one, several questions we have. The first question is, who is Ahab? Elijah's told to go to Ahab. Who is he? 1 Kings 16, 29 through 34, it reads, In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, the son of Omri, began to reign over Israel. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel in Samaria 22 years. And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord, more than all who were before him. And as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, he took for his wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. He erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria. Verse 33, And Ahab made an Asherah. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. In his days, Hale of Bethel built Jericho. He laid its foundation at the cost of Abiram, his firstborn, and set up its gates at the cost of his youngest son, Sagub, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Joshua, the son of Nun. So simply what we can take from uh, this passage, who is Ahab? Ahab is not a follower of God. He's actually described as the worst and even the evilest king uh, that Israel had seen up to that point. And we won't look at it, but I'll tell you, uh, and you can trust me, that they had a lot of evil kings. He wasn't just the only one, but leading up to him, just about every single one uh, did evil in the sight of the Lord. So Elijah is going to speak to one who did not believe as he believed, and he's going to speak to someone who's just not an ordinary human being. This is the king of the land. This man had power, power to kill Elijah if he chose to. So that alone gives us an idea of the danger that Elijah is walking into. Second question we have to ask to get the context to see this danger. What did Elijah previously do to Ahab? And here we come to 1 Kings 17, the chapter before. Verse 1 reads, Now Elijah the son of Tishbite Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord the God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. So we see here Elijah, he's confronting Ahab, declaring a drought. And this would have been seen as an an act of judgment against Ahab. Elijah's showing his true colors, he's shown his true alliance, and it certainly is not with Ahab as he's saying, there will be no rain, there will be no water in your kingdom. The third question we have to ask is, how did Ahab respond? 1 Kings 18 verse 10 actually comes from our passage this evening, and this is Obadiah speaking about Ahab. It says, as the Lord your God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my Lord, that's Ahab, has not sent to seek you. And when they would say he is not here, he would take an oath of the kingdom or nation that they had not found you. All right, so Elijah, uh, the response uh, or what Elijah does after he declares this drought is he disappears. He gets off the scene and God protects him. He provides for him. That's what we look back at in October in, in chapter 17. And Ahab searches for him. He searches for him everywhere. He goes to nation, to kingdom, all over the land looking for Elijah, and he couldn't be found. So certainly he wants his reign back, but he also wants to end the ministry and the life of Elijah. That was Ahab's response. 
So just imagine how frustrated, how furious Ahab was with Elijah. He was not able to find him, and day after day, his land continued in this drought. The people probably struggled. Uh, they struggled to find food. They struggled to grow crops. His people were suffering, and, and he probably was as well. So he wanted to find Elijah, but he couldn't. So his response is that he has been searching for months and years on end for Elijah. Number four, with all that being said, understanding this context, consider the danger Elijah is in by being sent to and going to Ahab. Number two, consider how much boldness Elijah would have needed in his first address to Ahab to declare a drought, and now how much more would he need to confront Ahab after his hiding and Ahab searching for three years? So if it wasn't bad enough, he was asked to go to Ahab and declare this drought once, and now he's told to go back after three years to this guy who's been looking for him, hunting down his life. He's told to go back and confront him a second time. So number three says, Elijah's unhesitating obedience allowed him to be used by God to show that this drought was not from Baal, but the Lord God. All right, and I say unhesitating obedience because we're not told that he hesitated. We're not told that he comes up with an excuse, but he goes. He goes immediately. And I think that's an example for us. So the pa- that's what this passage is leading to. So our passage with Obadiah, ultimately the context is it's leading to Elijah confronting Ahab, And Elijah is being sent to show that this drought, the controller of the weather, is not Baal, this worthless idol, but God is in control of all things and the weather included. But we do see Elijah's example, and we're actually, I'm not going to spend too much time on it uh, right now, but we're actually going to look at it later in this passage and actually compare him to Obadiah. But Elijah is an example. He is told to go, and he goes. He is sent, and he does not delay. He has unhesitating obedience towards God, and I think that's a great example for us. And as I said, we'll look at that uh, later in this passage. Roman numeral number two. Next, we're introduced to Obadiah, our focus for this evening. This comes from 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 3 through 4. And and as I mentioned briefly earlier, uh, this is the first time Obadiah comes onto the scene of Scripture And this is the last time. This is the only passage, the only narrative that we have about Obadiah. But as I've said before, I believe we can learn great lessons from this man. Letter A, two things in specific this text gives concerning Obadiah. Number one, Obadiah is a servant of Ahab. Verse three, it it reads, And Ahab called Obadiah, who was over the household. So what does it mean that he's over the household? Letter A, the phrase is pretty general. We are not told exactly what this entailed, though I believe we can determine that he oversaw something within the house or the kingdom of Ahab. He had a position of oversight within Ahab's reign. So I think simply we can say he had um, a position of responsibility, a, a job in which he worked within the house of Ahab, within the kingdom of Ahab, and even as we're about to see, he dealt with Ahab personally. As letter C says, And adds on to this, we also can determine that he held a special or unique position. In the passage we're about to get to in a moment, verses 5 through 6 reads, And Ahab said to Obadiah, Go through the land to all the springs of water and to all the valleys. Perhaps we may find grass and save the horses and the mules alive and not lose some of the animals. So they divided the land between them to pass through it. Ahab went in one direction by himself and Obadiah went in another direction by himself. 
So I say it, it seems as if he held a position or a unique or a special position uh, because he's chosen by Ahab. Ahab chooses him. Possibly he chose some others, but we see that he chose at least Obadiah to go on this mission, in which Ahab actually does as well. He seems to have held a high and even a trusted position in which he associated directly with Ahab. Ahab goes to him for help. So we see Obadiah, he's a servant of Ahab. Very important to see. We'll come back to that. Number two, the second thing we are told is that Obadiah is a servant of God. Again, very important, and this comes from verses 3 through 4. So number one, Obadiah had a reverent obedience towards, toward God. Verse 3, And Ahab called Obadiah, who was over the household. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. All right, so the first way we see he's a servant of God is that we are told that he fears the Lord greatly. So the text leaves, in my opinion, no question about if Obadiah is a servant of God or not. He truly has faith in God. The phrase is given that he feared the Lord greatly. And when we think about this phrase, it's, it's used actually a lot in the scriptures, but it's used here to describe Obadiah. And what this, mean, what this phrase that he feared the Lord greatly very simply means is actually not what we often think about the word fear. Oftentimes we might think about the word fear in maybe we think about a teacher in school. A child's scared or afraid of a strict teacher in school. Uh, they're scared that this strict teacher is going to maybe punish them if they disobey them. Uh, they could snap at any moment. But in this passage, and oftentimes in the scripture, this word fear is used to speak of a respect, a reverence that leads to obedience and submission. So this may be the type of fear that a child has for their parents. If they have a good relationship, a good uh, parental uh, uh, relationship with their child, it's the type of respect that you might have for your mother or father in which you respect them so you submit to their rules and their guidelines. Obadiah respected and submitted to God. That's what that uh, phrase, feared the Lord greatly, he respected, he submitted to God. Number two, the second way that we see Obadiah as a servant of God is that Obadiah was willing to risk his life for the Lord's prophet. Verse 4 says, And when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord, Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifties in a cave and fed them with bread and water. So we, he, would, he would have been going against his master and his king in doing so. And even more so, he would have been risking his life to do such a thing as it was the queen who was hunting down these prophets and he ultimately hid them from her. So this was no simple or easy task. Three, so Obadiah is a servant of Ahab. He works for Ahab, but he also serves God. He has faith in God. He has submitted his life to God. So we have these two dynamics. He's a servant of Ahab. He's a servant of God. So the question we have to ask is, what are we to make of this? Is Obadiah doing something wrong? And the simple answer I'd propose, you, propose to you is that, no, Obadiah is not doing anything wrong, but why? Number one, first, Obadiah does not compromise his faith. He does not change the way he lives for God to serve Ahab. So in seeing Obadiah serving Ahab and God, we are not to see Obadiah serving Ahab equally to how he serves God or somehow compromising his faith in God to serve Ahab. Obadiah is a servant of Ahab who's wicked. He's an evil king, though it does not seem like that has influenced Obadiah at all. As we just saw, he went against the king's own wife 
in hiding the prophets of God from her. Second, all right, so first we see no because he didn't compromise his faith. Second, because it can be seen in the scriptures that God often gives his servants favor in the sight of their unbelieving masters. I'll give you some examples. We won't look into them in depth, but um, if you know these stories, they'll, they'll hit home for you. So God often gives favor in the sight of uh, these unbelieving masters, such as Joseph in Genesis with Potiphar and Pharaoh, Daniel with Nebuchadnezzar and Darius, and even in the New Testament, Paul with Julius, the centurion, on Paul's journey to Rome. All right, so God often gives his servants, believers, favor in, this, in the sight of unbelieving masters. Letter B, God could and does use this to influence and impact these unbelieving masters for his sake. So application. So what does this mean for us? I believe here Obadiah should be viewed as an example for us in our own Christian lives. So a few questions to ask, a few questions for you to think about for yourself. Are we as Christians to have close contact with non-Christians? Should we work for an unbelieving boss? Should we have friends that are unbelievers? And I believe this passage gives us an ex excellent example of how. In answering these questions of application, we get our first lesson. All right, so I said we get two. Here's our first one. The first lesson we learned from Obadiah is that we can and even should be willing to live, to work with, and befriend unbelievers while staying strong in our faith. So that's huge. We're not to compromise our faith. We're not to change how we live, but to stay strong in our faith while doing this. So letter A, I'll give you, a, give you a few things to think about for yourself. Letter A, working for and with unbelievers is by no means wrong or sinful as we are called to be in the world, to build relationships and friendships with those who do not believe. B, in working for an unbelieving boss or, an unbelieving, or with unbelieving co-workers, do not compromise your faith. Do not live as they live or speak as they speak, but continue to live as God has called us to, though no one else is. And I'd say the same thing can go uh, for kids in school. Our example here is with an unbelieving master or lord or boss. Kids could, uh, deals with kids at school as well. Or teens on a sports team. Or your teachers, coaches, other students may not believe in Jesus Christ, but you are to continue. Letter C, in working or going to school with unbelievers, we are to see it as an opportunity in which God has given us to influence and impact them for his sake to take time to share your beliefs, to build relationships with them. Letter D, we are to realize that we can get along and have a terrific relationship with an unbelieving boss or teacher or another student as God can give us favor in their eyes. But at the same time, the flip side, we see this often in the New Testament, we also have to expect hatred, strife from unbelievers as well. So we kind of have both dynamics in the scriptures, God giving favor in the eyes of unbelievers, but at the same time, as Christians, we can also expect Hatred. And then I believe A.W. Pink summarizes Obadiah well on his, on his book uh, on Elijah's life. He says, There is nothing wrong in a child of God holding a position of influence if he can do so without the sacrifice of principle. It renders valuable service for God. So I think Obadiah is an excellent example here. And even, I didn't necessarily mention this um, quite yet, but I even think we can think of college students. Going off to college, you can't necessarily help if you're in a, in a class or in a dormitory uh, with believers or unbelievers. So to stay strong in your faith while you have a relationship with them. I think that's, that's a very practical example uh, for seniors going off to college. 
As we move on in our passage, we come to Ahab. Number three, Ahab tasks Obadiah to solve the problem of the famine. And this comes from verses 5 through 6. It reads, And Ahab said to Obadiah, Go through the land to all the springs of water and to all the valleys. Perhaps we may find grass and save the horses and the mules alive and not lose some of the animals. So they divided the land between them to pass through it. Ahab went in one direction by himself, and Obadiah went in another direction by himself. All right, so we considered the obedience of Elijah uh, just a few verses ago, um, but we looked at how Ahab had been confronted with this drought. He knew it was coming, and we see he didn't change his ways. And even in his solution now that we see how he calls Obadiah to go on this task, we see Ahab didn't learn. He didn't learn from this judgment, this, um, this drought that Elijah had brought upon him, that God had brought upon him. He didn't learn. As we see, his solution didn't involve God at all. He wasn't turning back to God. He wasn't looking to God or even looking to Elijah for his help. But he was trying to solve it by his own means as he sought to find grass for the animals to keep them alive. Number four, the interaction between Obadiah and Elijah, and this is where we find our second lesson focusing in on Obadiah. This comes from verses 7 through 15. Letter A, Obadiah meets Elijah with respect, verse 7. And as Obadiah was on his way, behold, Elijah met him. And Obadiah recognized him and fell on his face and said, Is it you, my lord, Elijah? So this helps Obadiah's case a lot. It shows that not only did he have a fear or a respect for God, but he also respected his people. He respected his servant, Elijah. So everything in this passage up to this point, as we've seen from Obadiah, we would have, I think we would all agree that, yes, he's a servant of God. He's serving him faithfully. But what we're about to run into in the next couple verses, I think, really makes us question, is Obadiah an example for us? Is he truly a servant of God? And we're going to look at that right now. Letter B, Elijah sends Obadiah to Ahab, verse 8. And he answered him, it is I. Go tell your Lord, behold, Elijah is here. Letter C, Obadiah realizes that his life could be in danger. Obadiah questions if he had sinned to deserve his, this death sentence, as it reads in verse 9. And he said, how have I sinned that you would give your servant into the hand of Ahab to kill me? So what's going on here is, is Elijah comes, he calls Obadiah uh, to go to Ahab and say, hey, I found Elijah. Elijah presented himself to me. Obadiah, he sees this as a death sentence, as, it, as we see in this verse, and ultimately he questions, what wrong have I done? How have I been unfaithful? How have I sinned against the Lord? Why would you call me to do this? So Obadiah sees this as a very negative thing. He actually sees it um, as something that's going to cause him to lose his life. Number two, Obadiah explains why he sees this as a death sentence, and we're given two reasons. Reason number one, Ahab had searched continuously for Elijah. So he sees this as a death sentence because Ahab had chased Elijah down. Verses 10 through 11 read, As the Lord your God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my Lord has not sent to seek you. And when they would say he is not here, he would take an oath of the kingdom or nation that they had not found you. And now you say, go tell your Lord, behold, Elijah is here. So his first reason, uh, it focuses on the fact that Ahab, of Ahab's hatred and his hostility towards Elijah. He sees Elijah as being an Ahab, enemy towards Ahab, and that's true. I mean, they aren't on the same side. Ahab is completely against Elijah, so Obadiah cannot believe that Elijah would ask him to do such a thing. 
Reason number two is that Obadiah believes Elijah will disappear. As verse 12 says, And as soon as I have gone from you, the Spirit of the Lord will carry you, I know not where. And so when I come and tell Ahab he cannot find you, he, and he cannot find you, he will kill me, although I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth. So Obadiah's reasoning is he disappeared or he left suddenly once, he could do it again. And he may also think he just randomly appeared this time. He could just as easily disappear by the Spirit of the Lord. Obadiah would seem as if he was just toying with Ahab. If Elijah actually did this, if he disappeared at a moment's notice and didn't show up to Ahab, it would have looked as if he was toying, messing uh, with Ahab, or didn't know what he was talking about. He would lose the respect and the trust of his master. Number three, Obadiah explains why he is undeserving of this death sentence. So we see his reasoning. He presents the reasons why he sees this as a death sentence. Now we see why he, he says, I'm not I don't deserve to die. And this comes from verses 13 through 14. It says, Has it not been told, my Lord, what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord, how I hid a hundred men of the Lord's prophets by fifties in a cave and fed them with bread and water? And now you say, go tell your Lord, behold, Elijah is here, and he will kill me. So I, as I read these verses, I don't believe Obadiah is being prideful or trying to boast or trying to talk himself up, but I think he's literally just trying to show proof as to why he didn't deserve this death sentence. He says, I've been faithful. I've been faithful since my youth. I even, I risked my life earlier in my days to save the prophets of God. Obadiah does not understand. He sees himself as being faithful, risking his life for the Lord. He has been obedient, though it could have cost him his job and even more so his life. Why did he deserve such treatment as to hand him over to death? That's what Obadiah is asking right now. D, in light of this interaction, in light of what Elijah asks and how Obadiah responds, we are left to question, what is going on with this faithful, this courageous man? Has he lost his faith? Is Obadiah a faithful servant of God or a failure to God's purposes? Has Obadiah become stagnant in his faith after being so faithful to God? And that second or that last question I just asked, how I answered that when I first picked up this passage to study, I concluded that. I said, it seems as if Obadiah has now become stagnant. He's served the Lord faithfully in his earlier years, and now he's, he's kind of just drifted off. He's not willing to submit as much as he was. He's not as faithful as he once was. But as I sat with the text longer, as I read it more, as I, I looked at it kind of phrase by phrase, I concluded that Obadiah isn't, he hasn't become stagnant. He isn't less faithful in one sense or less submissive. But I believe Obadiah here is dealing with the oh-so-human reaction and emotion of fear. Obadiah was in complete dread. Obadiah believed that he would die if he carried through with the plan of Elijah. He assumed that Elijah would disappear, that he would leave Obadiah hanging. And I believe before we start to look down on Obadiah, as I said I did right in the beginning of reading this passage, before we start looking down on him, I think we have to realize that he relates very much with us. Before we think that he's somehow a failure or not a hero of the faith, think about how much of a human figure he is, how much he relates to us. So this is where we get our second lesson. 
said we'd get to this is the second. The second lesson we learned from Obadiah is that even as Christians, it is going to be a constant struggle to fear and become anxious on a daily basis. So Obadiah, I believe, relates very much with us. Number two, consider the daily anxieties, the constant fear that we encounter on an everyday basis. It may not even be a big decision, and we approach the next day fearing what we may encounter. We stress over a conversation that needs to be had. We get anxious for a test that we are about to take. We fear what we are going to be asked to do. Three, also consider how often you can go from reading the Bible, sitting through a worship service, hearing the Word of God preached, and then you run into a difficult situation and you fear, you start to think about what is going on in your life and you feel helpless. Consider how often do you assume and decide something that will happen when really you have no clue the outcome. How often do you believe, like Obadiah did, that the results will be the worst possible? All right, so from just those few questions, I think we can see that we relate with Obadiah um, on a daily basis, not just every once in a while, but constant decisions we have to make, constant situations we come into. We deal with the same type of fear, the same type of anxieties that Obadiah did. So what I'm trying to show is that we relate so much with Obadiah. So the question I want to ask in five is, so what are we to do? How can we respond to anxieties and stress? And no, the answer is not, just don't be anxious. You may hear that sometimes, but I don't think that's, that's the answer that we get here. So number one, this passage shows how much we need God. All right, we see Obadiah left to himself. He would just fret and worry, and we would do the same things. We would assume things that haven't and will not even happen. Two passages that come to mind, as I think these two passages from the Psalms, the Psalms are filled with these types of passages, speaking of how we need to rely upon the Lord, how the Lord is our strength. Two passages come to mind as, as this text, as I read through this text. The first is Psalm 18, 1 through 3. It says, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord, who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. And then Psalm 46, verse 1 is very similar, very well known. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. So the first answer to this question is, this passage shows how much we need God. We can't do it ourselves, and even just looking or thinking about our own lives, looking at the example of Obadiah, we realize how much we need God. Number two we can pray to God for the faith, the trust, and the dependence upon him that allows us to have unhesitating obedience as we saw earlier in this passage Elijah had. So said we'd come back to Elijah, here it is. And, and we even, in one sense, contrast him and Obadiah. Elijah had every reason and possibly even more so to be scared, to fear for his life than Obadiah. We may have even sympathized with Elijah thinking or even we may have sympathized with him uh, if he would have responded to God saying, God, I just took away all the rain from this king and you want me to go speak with him. But Elijah instead responded in obedience, unhesitating obedience, and did what God called him to do. I believe he's a great example to strive after. But as Obadiah shows, this cannot be obtained by human effort. Obadiah was a God-fear. He was a servant of God just like Elijah, he had done amazing things for the Lord and then worried over another situation, maybe even a situation less scary, less fearful 
than what he had done in the past. Obadiah shows how we need to pray to God. Lord, help us to trust in you. Ease our worry. Help us not to assume, but trust in what you have planned and that you are in control. Letter E, Elijah promises that he will reveal himself to Ahab that very day. As verse 15 says, And Elijah said, As the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, I will surely show myself to him today. Number one, here we see that Obadiah's assumptions, what he erased as excuses, were not true at all, but only fears he had. Application, oftentimes our fears and assumptions do not even happen. So we often think, what if this happens? What if that happens? Oftentimes, those things don't even happen. Three, Elijah promises him that surely he will reveal himself to Ahab. And we see he does in verse 16. Ahab and Elijah meet. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. And this ultimately leads us to the passage, the very familiar passage of Elijah versus the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. And I hope to look at that uh, in a couple of weeks. But to conclude, uh, to kind of look at these two points, look at uh, the life, the character of Obadiah, I said we get two lessons that Obadiah's, or from Obadiah's life in this short account. The first we learned from Obadiah was that we can and even should be willing to live, work with, and befriend unbelievers while staying strong in our faith. So I'll question to you and ask you, how is God using you in the lives of unbelievers? Thinking about your lives, if it be your families, if it be your workplace, if it be your schools, your sports teams, how is God using you in the lives of unbelievers? May we be praying that he would use us in their lives. May we be willing to be involved in their lives and build relationships with unbelievers. And then the second lesson that we learned from Obadiah was that even as Christians, it is going to be a constant struggle to fear and become anxious on a daily basis. And as I said, Obadiah, I believe, isn't to be necessarily looked uh, at as a failure or uh, even not a servant of God, but I believe he's supposed to be looked at as a very human character. His example reveals our daily anxieties clearly. And may his example cause us to look to the Lord all the more, realizing how often we do not rest upon him and look to him when we face fears within our life. So in closing, I, I pray that God uh, would use the example of Obadiah within your life this evening and even as we move out into uh, our weeks, um, to our workplaces, to our schools, to our families, and we think about these two lessons, how God is using us within the lives of unbelievers, just like I believe he did with Obadiah. Obadiah was very close with Ahab. He was a servant of him and probably, probably interacted with him on a daily basis. Uh, basis or even a weekly basis. But at the same time, uh, may this passage be an example and even a challenge to us in our daily anxieties. May we turn to the Lord uh, when we face fears, when we face anxieties, and look to the Lord. I think Obadiah is a great example for us and teaches us uh, very many lessons. Let me close us in prayer. God, I just thank you for this passage. I thank you for uh, just the way in which um, you use this man, Obadiah. He's not written about uh, too much in the scriptures, but Lord, we thank you for this one passage we do have of his example. And, and Lord, it's, um, it's interesting how you do this in the scriptures, how we get little accounts of different people within the larger account of Elijah and his story and in the kings in general. But God, we thank you for this. And, and we realize that all of your word is important and, and you've 
this is your word, Lord, and we pray that we would just take it and, and learn from this man, Obadiah. May you challenge us to think about how we're interacting with other people in this world. Uh, and Lord, help us to stay strong in our faith. Help us not to compromise our faith, but help us to be a witness to these people. Uh, Lord, use us in their lives. And God, I even pray for um, just the struggle of fear, the struggle of stress and anxiety. And, and Lord, oftentimes that causes us to, to think about how we can figure things out. Think about uh, how we can... Um, deal with things with our own tactics. But Lord, uh, may our fears, may Obadiah uh, challenge us to think about how we need to look to you when we come upon these situations, these conversations, these decisions. God, I pray that you would just uh, help us to look to you, depend on you more, and and Lord, may Obadiah be an example uh, to us. God, we thank you for all things. Thank you for this time that we get to gather together to worship you uh, through song, through prayer, and, and through the preaching of your word. Lord, we thank you for Uh, the opportunity to preach, and we thank you for your word, for speaking to us. Lord, I pray for us all as we go into our weeks uh, this week. Lord, uh, help us to live for you. Help us to stay strong in our faith, and and Lord, use us in a mighty way. And in your name I pray. Amen. Thank you for coming out this evening, and you are dismissed.